This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today we are going to review Prodigy Episode 17, Ghost in the Machine. But we will start with the news as always, and this week we start off with some sad news, which is that Kirstie Alley, who Star Trek fans always know as Savick from Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, died of cancer this week. So there have been a lot of very nice posts from celebrities who worked with her saying nice things about her and some interesting interviews with uh, with Nick Meyer, too. Nick Meyer was very important to her. And we quoted some of the stuff from her 2016 appearance at the um, 50th anniversary convention in Vegas. And she said this before about how she kind of attributes her career to Nick Marcus. She faked her resume, literally. You know, that was her first real job in Hollywood. I mean, she'd done some little things, but that was it. It was a big deal to her, and she never forgot it. He, a nice interview with People Magazine, just talking about what she was like. And he talked about how she just brought something different to the role and some emotion to it. it like during the funeral scene. She was crying, and apparently Shat- Shatner went over to him and said, you're not going to let this happen, are you? She can't cry. And he allowed it because he thought it actually made it work even better, you know, which I think is a, a fun little behind-the-scenes story. Had you heard that before? Well, it's funny because I just read something, an interview that she had done. I think it was from Ian Spelling who reposted an interview he did with her many years ago. But I think because she says, she said she was half Romulan, which we know is not canon, but was part of the story. So she said it was the Romulan side that gave her the emotions. (laughs) Right, which makes sense. I mean, yes, it's not canon, but in her mind, she shot the scene. She read the script. And in that script, she was half Romulan. You know, they just removed it later. But she was acting as half Romulan. Yes. Yeah. And no, I thought she was great in the movie. It's unfortunate she didn't come back for Star Trek 3. You know, she says that they offered her less money for a bigger role and her career was starting to take off. So she said no. And yeah, well, her she, career did take off. But uh, it was nice to see the outpouring of affection from Star Trek fans. And of course, you know, outside of Star Trek fans, um, you know, it's just been huge news all week. And I didn't know she was sick. Apparently it was. Nobody knew. Yeah. Yeah, she, she was on. Uh, I mean, I never watched the show, of course, but she was on the the Masked Singer like a few months ago. You know, yeah. So, I mean, I don't watch it either, but that's what I heard. So, <laughs> my one funny Kirstie Alley thing is that when I was working at A and E, we did a reality show with her many years ago, and one of the promotional items was a set of nesting dolls, each one with her image, and then the very middle, on the very inside, there was a USB drive with her on it that had all the press materials and i still have it so <laughs> i have a bizarrely a set of kirsty alley nesting dolls and if someone did you wants ever, to give me did you meet dollars i did not meet her because no. the shoots were all somewhere else no, um, but okay. we designed a web a game for the website with her approval that was her chasing cupcakes around like what Pac-Man. was the name of the show kirsty alley's big life yeah she had quite the amazing career Speaking of another person having a big career, let's switch to some Michelle Yeoh news. She is everywhere right now. Yeah, obviously she was been a big star for years. Before Star Trek, after Star Trek, you know, she's in a Marvel movie. But the everywhere, what was it? Everything, everywhere. What? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything. <laughs> yeah. 
regardless of what it's called. It's a fantastic movie. It is. She's amazing in it. It's funny. It's got action. It's got heart. And it's sci-fi in a very weird way, you know, because she's it's a multiverse movie. Anyway, she's getting all sorts of Oscar buzz from series. Like, everyone's assuming she's going to get nominated. The only question is, is she going to win? You know, but she's on a lot of lists. So Time Magazine named her. The news is Time Magazine named her icon of the year, which is a big deal. It's a big deal for anybody. And I think there aren't a lot of actresses, 60 and over Asian actresses who are getting known this, you know, who are getting these kinds of accolades. Unfortunately, it's just such a hard thing to do. And she's really just barreled through all all those barriers. And there's no stopping it. You know, she's still getting roles. I mean, she's in like seven Avatar movies. I don't know how yeah. many they're making. But the, you know, the one the one coming out next week and all the other ones. And uh, she's in a new Disney Plus show called American Born Chinese, which is kind of this weird modern show with um, Chinese mythology mixed into it. And she plays a goddess. And uh, she's in this, this Netflix miniseries. The Witcher Blood Origin. And so, you know, all of this has got to make everybody wonder, like, what are the chances of her coming back for a Section 31 show, which still gets talked about as if it's on the table somewhere in the background. Um, But she's going to cost a lot more and be even busier than she has been. Right. As soon as you get nominated for an Academy Award, your rate goes up. When you win, your rate goes way up. I mean, I think she wants to do it because she wants to do it. I, she yeah. feels like her work in Star Trek was important. She always speaks very glowingly about her time in Star Trek. You know, earlier this year when she was doing the, her publicity tour for you know the Everything Everywhere movie, he she talked about how Alex promised her she you know and she hopes that she's going to get the Section Thirty One show. So you know it's still on her mind. Alex Kurtzman told me or you, one of us on the some carpet this year, I forget. It was you I, in New York. I think, I think it was me on the Strange New Worlds premiere. That this is one of the two shows that are on deck. But you know, Paramount Plus has yet to pull the trigger on this and it's been years. So, you know, I don't know what the deal is. I know that there's, you know, some issues with, you know, they putting the show together and then there was the pandemic, but. I just think it's a no-brainer to do a show starring her. They could come up with something, I'm sure. The question is, does Paramount Plus have the appetite for this, especially if it's the only new live-action show they get? Because there's belt tightening, as I've talked about, going on Paramount Plus. Right. I feel like there was a time that they were like, new Star Trek shows, here's another, here's another, here's another. And now they're... they can't, it's not just a free-for-all anymore. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they are going to order another live-action show. And if they, you know, and are they going to order two more or one more, you know, or three more? You know, I, I think they should start delving into miniseries if this is an issue. They could start staggering seasons as well. Um, so let's say Discovery gets a sixth season, but maybe that doesn't come out till 2025. You know, you know what I mean? Like, so... This year and next year, they're going to release 50 episodes of Star Trek combined animation and live action. Maybe moving forward, they can have five shows running, but they don't all get to release 10 episodes a year. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many pieces of that puzzle to unravel that are mostly financial. 
<laughs> it's really hard to tell. The one thing I will say is that I do think that Michelle Yeoh being on Discovery did put her back in the public eye in a way that she hadn't been in a while. And I think that it was a, probably a, a help to all of these other roles. I mean, she had a long career before that, but I do think that this was a big, prominent role for her where there was a lot of press about it and a lot of talk about it. Yeah. And then I think she quickly got into that movie, Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. Which she was phenomenal in. So we are still waiting to see what happens next. You know, we thought Paramount Plus would announce something in 2022, but they haven't. With Discovery, as we said last week, wrapping production on its fifth season, as of now, there's no live action Star Trek seasons of any show that have been ordered that haven't been shot. So they've shot season three of Picard, season two of Strange New Worlds, and season five of Discovery. So if anything gets produced next year, they need to announce something new. Either right. season pickups. I mean, they're going to order another season of Strange New Worlds. I mean, that's like, of course they are. And I think Discovery too. Probably Discovery. And the question is anything else? That may be it. You know, I hate to say this, but if if if, if Paramount Plus starts getting stingy and saying you could have two live action shows, then I would I would launch something new and and give up on season six of Discovery and maybe give them a um like a a little just a, a wrap movie. up movie like they did with Timeless, which was a show I loved. Yeah, it got canceled without a, a proper ending, so they and really a cliffhanger in their case, and yeah. so they got like a nice wrap up movie. Speaking of Picard, because I think I threw that name around, let's talk a little bit about. <laughs> We don't have really Picard news, but last week we talked about an interview in Den of Geek magazine. This week, Paramount Plus released the images that were in that magazine, and we put those up on the site. You know, there's nothing groundbreaking about them. Um, you can get a closer look at the new uniforms that Riker and Picard wear. Yeah, they're all episodic pictures, not not PR shots. Yeah, although there's a PR shot of Picard on the cover of the magazine, which we also right. have a high-resolution. Den of Geek magazine were nice to send me a high-resolution image of that. I mean, Beverly's jacket is really cool. It reminds me of the Wrath of Khan jackets, even though she's not in Starfleet, but those that kind of crazy white collar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I mean, I think the outfits are great. Everyone complains that it's dark, but that's what shots look like from movies, you know, and this is a very cinematic season. No, there's one where they're in a bar. Bars are dark. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so check those out. But uh, hopefully, you know, I mean, the publicity for the show really hasn't started. But I think next month we'll really start ramping up. I expect another trailer. CBS likes to do things during some of their big sports shows, maybe during uh, the NFL playoffs or something like that. Yeah, definitely after the holidays. Yeah. I wouldn't expect anything before then. And the show premieres on February 16th just to remind everybody. Yeah, there'll definitely be a lot of publicity then. Um, hopefully an in-person premiere. Oh, I guess it'll be in L.A. Yeah, I would bet. They shot it in L.A. It, you know, most of the cast are in L.A. The weather's nicer in L.A. <laughs> yeah, in February, you want to be standing outside yeah. on a frozen blue carpet. So I mean, yeah. I'd do it for Patrick Stewart. If well, he you can fly me. out and join me, but I'll be there. All right, good to know. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to Lower Decks, which was just nominated for a Critics' Choice Award for Best Animated Series. That's a big deal. I think so. Look, I mean, it's up against some big stuff. Bob's Burgers, which I love. Well, a lot yeah. of these shows, um, like Primal, they recently went up against and lost at 
the Saturn Awards and I think uh, another award show. But the show's been getting real nominations in 2022. There was a Hugo, Hollywood Critics Association, um, and you know it's also gotten some technical stuff, but it's getting some serious attention from the critics, and I think that's great. It's just the writing is really, really great on that show. Now, this weekend is the Emmys. Uh, Prodigy is up for Best Animated Kids Program. It's a, it's a special Emmys. It's the kids' Emmys. First time they've done it. I think they call it the Children's Kids' Emmy Awards. Or Family or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it used yeah. to be part of the Daytime Emmys. Now they've got their own thing. LeVar Burton's winning a Lifetime Achievement Award obviously for reading rainbow, but this is going up against some, you know, prodigies going up against some stiff competition. That's going to be on Sunday. I believe, I think you could watch it online. If you just register at the Emmy site. Yes. Yes. That's directly on the Emmy site and anyone can register to watch it. I'll be cheering. Before we get into the episode, you know, every week we cover these Janeway logs. Um, and the one this week is, is a really good one because it really starts connecting some of the dots. These are written by Aaron Watke, recorded by Kate in her kitchen. I was um, going to say, we say it every <laughs> week. Why not say it again? <laughs> this this week, actually, I didn't hear any. I didn't hear the copy yeah, for it. It didn't but, sound quite as kitcheny. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, the this one was first of all, she's like put all the pieces together on the kids, right? She's like, they're not criminals. They're slaves. She's kind of figured it out. The, the difference with this one is these are supposedly in-universe recorded after each episode, so in between. Um, but that's not possible because last <laughs> week's episode, she was karate chopped by the Diviner. So I guess we're supposed to assume this was like, um, I think Aaron said this was like between her last conversation with Tysus and when we saw her walking down the hallway. I yeah, think. that makes perfect sense in terms of what she says. But she does make a kind of uh, you know call out to the Watson Network, which is a little deep cut on for Voyager. But the real connection here is something we've talked about, which is the Kazon. She reveals in this log that the Kazon are using the Transwarp Network. That the Borg, yeah, the Borg used to run it, basically. It was theirs. When they destroyed the Borg Queen and sort of disrupted the Transwarp Network, it became something that other species could jump in and use and the Kazon are taking advantage. So in a way, Voyager's responsible. Just like Zero's responsible for waking up the Borg, as oh. we discussed, Janeway's responsible for bringing the Kazon, who we all hate, to the rest of the galaxy. And as we saw, you know, in last week, they were responsible for bringing all of our kids to the Diviner. So they're the worst. Yep. In, in so many ways. Um, Aaron, Aaron also confirmed on Twitter that it was Seska and her shenanigans that led to the Voyager database getting to the Kazon, which led to them figuring out how to capture zero with the goggles and the container. Yeah. Jane Wiz got that on her head too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was Seska's fault. Yeah, well, she she was the worst. Actually, I kind of I liked the character. I thought it was a fun twist to turn her into a spy. Oh, was... I loved the character, and I loved when they brought her back. Like you know, with any excuse they could find, holodeck program. Who cares? I loved yes. it. So you should be checking out these logs every week because they are a fun little bit of connective tissue, not only between the episodes but between the rest of Star Trek. 
and we always put them up on the site and then Tony does some analysis on it, connects some dots for you. All right, so should we move on to our review of this week's episode? Yes, the Ghost in the Machine. So my sort of top level overview, it is the second episode in a row where they're kind of just biding some time. And so, you know, and I, I kept thinking about what you said last week about the backstories not coming in as organically as they could have. And I was like, this, it was the same, like, just stick all these things together. But they were so creative in terms of the choices of the different programs. And I loved that each one had its own music and it had its own look. And so that part I really loved. But there wasn't like the big action thing didn't really happen until the last few minutes. Well, there was a fake action at the beginning. Right. Which I knew as soon as it started, I was like, this is not actually happening. Because it felt very Star Trek 2, of course, um, <laughs> except no one died because it's a good show. <laughs> um, right. It also felt very much like Kobayashi, which was, you know, inspired the episode Aaron wrote for season 1A, where Dal went through multiple, you know, versions uh, to try to become a better captain. Yes, I agree with you. I think I may have liked this one better as soon as I... Because I was thinking, oh, you know, so we've got another episode. This is going to be, you know, where we start ramping up the action. And as soon as I kind of realized, no, they're taking another break. They're going to do the holodeck malfunction episode, which later we realize actually isn't a malfunction. But it's a fun subgenre. And it's, I kind of quickly got that that's what they're doing. And I said, OK, well, we're not going to get big action this week. And then I was more OK with it. I was surprised. We didn't get any action on the Dauntless, like zero Admiral Janeway, no follow up on the cliffhanger. That was a daring move to, you know, to do a cliffhanger and then not even touch it for a week. Uh, you know, I kind of give them props for taking that risk, as it were. I'm and I'm OK with it in a way. I, I guess I'm I'm still dealing with that. <laughs> you <laughs> You're <know>? processing. <laughs> I'm still processing, but. You know, I, I'm, oh, you know, like at first I'm like, seriously, are you, because I kept thinking like, when are we cutting to the, and they never did. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe they didn't do that. Well, because it was so hard, like, because we have the episodes ahead of time, but we're not watching, we're only watching one each week. And so this was one of those times where it was so last week was so tempting to just pop in the next one right away, but I didn't. And then I was like, well, I guess it wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have found out anything anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then when you get into the details, there was so much fun, but also like last week, really interesting character stuff because yes, it was a holodeck malfunction episode, but it was done in a way where each malfunction was a lesson or, or character study. Yeah, no, it was about each person and, and what they want and what they think about and what they wish could happen and what they do in their free time. It was very telling that Gwyn didn't have a holodeck program and just commented on other people's. But I thought, yeah, it was I mean, the, and the choices were all done stylistically very differently, which I really enjoyed. Each character had an issue, which was discussed during the fabulous ice cream party. And the little bits that were discussed at that ice cream party all kind of came back in their little holodeck adventures. Let's talk about the ice cream party for just a second before we get into holodeck adventures. Because first of all, this was the kid equivalent of going to a bar. 
Right. First of all, that huge bowl of scoops of ice cream. I am an ice cream person. My fantasy would be to go into a holodeck, eat 500 scoops of ice cream and have it not affect my body at all. Like (laughs) when they were disappointed, like the ice cream, they were sad the ice cream was fake. I would have been like party, party. I mean, they don't have to worry about the same metabolism issues that, you know, actual 3D people have. But... (laughs) I was, but I loved like like Gwen was on a sugar high, saying she wants to slap her father with my hand. She's all like drunk on whipped cream, um, and it was just and when they're going pile it on, pile it on, it was like guys in a bar like encouraging chug chug. It was the exact same vibe, and I love that everything that they complained about was like pile it on, pile it on. So I just that scene alone, I was in love with i thought it was great and when they finally made their way out it was like a bunch of people walking out of a bar after last call right they were stumbling yeah i, I want to loop back to something you said because this gets to a technical thing of i believe the way holodecks work is if you eat something in a holodeck it's actually replicated food so the oh. holodeck is 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 a combination of holograms and replicated material because you could sit in a chair it's real in a sense Rock actually kind of discusses, they get into some of the weeds of how a holodeck yes. works, like, um, which we've all often talked about, about how weird it is. Like, how could you, what happens if you start walking away from someone, but why don't you run into a wall and, you know, all that kind of stuff. She kind of explains that, which apparently was from a technical manual. So I believe the ice cream was real. Huh. I keep, because, you know, I have this ongoing fantasy of being able to eat as much ice cream as I like. So I'm wondering, maybe you could ask the holodeck to give you fake ice cream. I don't know. Well, anyway. it could give you f- fake ice cream, but it would be tasteless. Like, you know, the, the whatever gives the yeah. ice cream its flavor is real. You know, is real. Or, you know, the 24th century, you know, sugar-free version of it perhaps. No one but wants that. yeah, but you can't fake how something tastes. So you can't go pig out in the holodeck and have it not affect you. I don't That's think what so. You're telling me. That's Damn. my theory. I'm sticking with it. I know it makes total sense. It just also makes me a little sad. <laughs> and I'm in. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Anyway, back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So after the ice cream party, when all the other stuff started appearing, that's when things really started to to pick up in a beautiful and fascinating way. I thought I was disappointed that we didn't get to see rocks, you know, Delta heart, magical veterinarian show. <laughs> yes. We only got characters from that show. Yes, Glitter smooch. <laughs> Each of them had a kind of iconic thing, you know, so that was kind of animal crossing, right. Or something like that, but with hospitals. Right. Zero was Hardy boys or Nancy drew. Take your pick. Right. Sure. And I'm sure there's video games. Pog was Street Fighter. I don't know yep. if you're familiar. He even had a special attack. In Street Fighter, every character has their own signature attack. I did notice he got into position. It's funny because there was a moment where I was thinking that they all seem so earthbound in so many ways. And then I thought, well, of course, it's a kid's show and they want kids to relate. So they're so they're that's why they're all similar to things that kids would be familiar with. And they're they're probably choosing from a database inside the holodeck, the Starfleet database. Dolls was a little too earthbound. He it's most similar to a game called Sea of Thieves, but it's basically a pirate game, 
And, you know, he had his pirate lingo down, the Hardys and all that kind of stuff. You know, when has he found the time to bone up on his pirate lingo? Yeah, they all had a little <laughs> lingo that seemed, yeah, I, was, I, I forgave it because I enjoyed it. Gwen saying, let's pop this blow stand and him knowing that's her knowing that and him knowing it's wrong. I thought it was, you know, a stretch, but yeah, funny. I mean, obviously the most surprising hollow program was the film noir black and white <laughs> crooner program of, you know, Murph. I have so many questions about so, Murph now. Yeah, like he could use the holodeck and he's doing it and no one noticed until now. I think we should take as canon what zero says so everyone's like murph can sing and zero says well he says or convincingly lip sync yeah i think it's lip syncing the song is actually a real song i found it too (laughs) we both looked it up (laughs) well let me make it's troy klein smile and forget it yeah very obscure like super obscure and it's his recording of it it's him like i matched it's the same yeah I wonder if he's like a friend of someone or, I mean, cause he is not well known, but regardless, we actually saw other moments of intelligence with Murph here. The way yes. Murph was looking at the puzzle at the beginning, he was sort of sorting it out. And then rock who's constantly showing how smart she is, is the one who really figured it out later when he mocked, who did he mock? He was like doing this thing where he was mocking Dal, I think, or someone. And he was, or Zero, mocking Zero. Zero, because he mocks Zero. And then Dal says, yeah, as if he's hurt, understood everything Murph said. Why did you say that the arch would open? You said the arch would open when we solved the mystery. And he took that from, you know, Murph doing something. Right. So Murph like was a- kind of miming the way Zero talks. Yes. So there's, there's a whole new level of, intelligence i mean we saw murph's kind of raw animal power taking on the tal shiar but murph is on a whole new level now i also noticed that murph is always like holding rock's arm draped around rock cuddling with rock like really is getting protected by rock even more so than before where it almost seemed more playful like murph was always jumping up on rock's shoulder or something but now there's just this, it's like a very, Rock is very maternal. Rock was great in this episode. All sorts of smart things sorted out, like the piano, but Rock still used her size You know, in the Street Fighter game. She did a Hulk move. Yeah, absolutely. That is a, a total <laughs> Hulk move. So she's not afraid of doing it. Uh, she just doesn't like to. Right. But in each one of their things, again, going back, it was all dealing with issues well zero didn't really have an issue did zero say anything during the ice cream party something bothering zero i don't think so zero just really likes mysteries and love doing the the big you know the big reveal at the end in a very classic old school and then we went here <laughs> and you know very very fun sherlock holmesian kind of thing at the end pog obviously is bothered by dr gnome <laughs> Very much so. And Dr. Gnome kind of became the villain showing up all over the place. So this is kind of the biggest episode for Jason Alexander because he had to voice like 20 different versions of Dr. Gnome. <laughs> um, and he did a great job, of course, because he's you know a pro. Because I've so far, I mean, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. I'm a big fan of his. And 
I felt like he really hasn't had anything to do on the show up until now. Yeah, he's had like one episode where he had some fun stuff. But this was, he was literally all over this episode. He was in every one of their programs. Yes. He was kind of multiplying as, you know, so, <laughs> you know, by the time they got to the pirate ship, they were all gnomes. All yep. of them. My favorite gnome was when they got to the pirate ship and Dal says, look for the skeleton key. And one of them just jumps over the side of the ship. Yeah, says, I'll go look overboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's not a very smart gnome, obviously. No, I mean, there was, it was very funny. I mean, the, the Murph singing thing was funny, but somehow the show, like, you know, where something's funny and then bang, you're immediately with Gwyn dealing with her dad, but it's not her dad. It's just a bartender that looks like her dad, but it certainly brought on all her daddy issues and she's got like a whole boatload of daddy issues. So th there were touching moments throughout as well. I thought I loved the scene with Gwyn at the, well, the barista instead of the bartender. And he gives her Jumja tea, yes. which apparently is a black currant tea, <laughs> by yeah. the way. But the thing that I found the most interesting was, you know, last week when the Vindicator asked the Diviner, what happened? Why did your daughter turn on us? And he said, sh he said, she met a boy. And I remember being kind of annoyed, not at the show, at him, because I'm like, it's, it's not she met a boy. That's not what it is. I mean, that was the beginning of the adventure. And in this one, she actually says what it is. And she says, my father put the weight of the whole world on my shoulders without even asking. And that is the issue. And I thought that was a great follow up to the conversation last week that her father had. I, I think she's not immune to the plight of the Vau Nakat. I mean, she definitely has issues with her father, but she also recognizes that her people have a problem, you know, I think. Yeah, I no, this is a complex issue across the board, I think, for everyone involved in terms of what happened on Solem. She definitely doesn't agree with the Vindicator and with Diviner 1.0. I'm still predicting we're going to see a whole new Diviner because he saved Janeway. So I think she's starting to see the nuance of everything. Right, because she was never given all of the information. And so he did a big sort of data dump in that episode <laughs> yeah. where Zero revealed revealed themselves to everybody. This is she's she's still putting pieces together and she's still figuring out I think her own psychology of what's been so difficult. But I was really I liked that quiet moment where she contemplates things and has a minute to actually think about what she's doing and and why and why she's so upset. Let me ask you this about when they were in the Street Fighter simulation and they realized that the safety protocols were not working. There's a Trek trope that I just will never understand. Yeah, yeah. They never, of course, they're not working. And of course, I mean, it was, you know, maybe I'm just too suspicious, but the fact that they couldn't control the holodeck, but they could talk to a hologram outside the holodeck. <laughs> I'm like, how does that work? And then as soon as because they were in a crisis situation and and he gives her the command codes i immediately said okay wait this yeah. is yeah so did you so, so did you have the same thing of yeah i knew some i was like okay this is this is not a minor moment this is a big moment and yeah. this code is being they're being tricked into getting him to reveal the code somehow you know yes. it's like it were my it's um whom gods destroy when they're trying <laughs> 
when Garth is trying to get, he keeps tricking Kirk to try and get him to say what the code is. And it was sort of like this one just, she just asked and he gave it. I had figured that the Vindicator, which is why I kept on wondering, like, why aren't we seeing any of these characters? I thought she might have worked her way onto the ship and reprogrammed Janeway. We found out it was something along those lines. I hadn't kind of figured it out, but I knew there was something wrong with Janeway. What it then reminds, because it's not really holodeck malfunction episode, we're actually in a different subgenre or a sub-subgenre. Mm-hmm. This is actually more like, there's like an Enterprise episode called Stratagem. There's a Voyager episode, like, you know, these kind of episodes where it's really a con job is going on. Right. I mean, like Ship in a Bottle, Next Generation sort of right. started, was the first one to do, you know, we haven't really left the holodeck. But yeah, there's um there's a Voyager episode where Chakotay keeps tapping the back of his hand to try and tell himself that he's hallucinating, you know, that he's still in the dream. Waking moments. Right? Yeah, it's and it's not just Star Trek. It 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 actually reminded me of a classic Mission Impossible episode from 1966 uh, called The Submarine, where they trick this Nazi into revealing where all the Nazi gold is. Um, by creating a fake submarine and putting him on board it and, uh, you know, creating a simulation. It's it's fun that it kind of switched genres on us. It, it went from a malfunction episode to this kind of con job episode. Yeah. Not that I fault the kids for not figuring that out because they don't watch as much Star Trek as I do. But, <laughs> um, but they did figure it out eventually. You know, the clues kept on coming and I guess Zero figured it out. Yeah, well, Rock started asking the right questions so that as things are going on, because Zero loves a mystery, and even as they're going from one scenario to the next, they are putting together, what's the answer to Rock's question? I did like the reveal because they could have played it up like evil hologram Janeway, which we saw actually. Remember, she was like in black, yeah, and the kind yep. of the Vaunucott Janeway, uh, and which would have made sense because we've seen that, and there is kind of apparently an evil version of Janeway somewhere, you know, a subroutine. But this was much more tragic, and Kate Mulgrew was great. Oh, her voice, her yeah. voice at the end was so filled with tinged with emotion and the facial expression they gave her too i thought was great but i did wonder why zero immediately just decided that there was never like rock was worried like does this mean that from the beginning janeway's been trying been playing us and zero goes no definitely and immediately decides no and i thought well that felt a little quick to me there is a little bit of um it was agatha all along kind of uh, <laughs> right <laughs> and, you know where she was always evil janeway but it does you know janeway their motivations aligned until this episode when they didn't so she was never evil but as soon as their goals got out of alignment then this thing triggered but she still loved the kids and wanted to help them you know but this thing was manipulating her yeah she was heartbroken Right. And we've seen that in Star Trek where characters manipulated and they don't know they're being manipulated, but they are. I would have liked a little a way for them to just check. I just felt like it was too easy of a determination. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the problems, with, you know, of this being a, a kid's show and be 22 minutes long that they do just skip some stuff, stuff that Star Trek wouldn't skip in a right. typical show. 
And so it does feel weird sometimes of like, come on, give us the techno babble. Give us the, you know, the briefing. Yeah. Let us know how you made sure that that was the only thing. Like I would be like, somebody needs to look at the security logs for all the other times something happened. <laughs> well, they did look at the log, see when she kind of turned her the little red right. flicker in her eye. That's why I would have then looked at other logs to see if that happened any other time. So I just right. thought it was a little too, it was just too quick. And, and I would have liked a little hand wavy explanation like oh no i've checked i just checked and that's the only time that it happened that would have been helpful for me okay well i was just nervous because i thought are they gonna not trust her in the next episode like did they trust her completely should they trust her completely oh clearly they should not um because she has command codes she's ordered the ship into the federation right she cannot control herself in fact that was the tragedy of that last scene she yes. shows up on the bridge and said, I'm sorry. I assume that means she's about to do something horrible. Like she can't stop. She knows it's happening around her, but she can't stop herself. She's like a witness to her own malfunction. And yep. so the cliffhanger here is, I'm assuming she's, you know, going to fire on the Dauntless or. By the way, she jumped to a big. I mean, Gwyn only suggested that and then they had ice cream. I know. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Number team heard, you know, we should consider and just decided, oh, okay, well, they've they've given up um, time to take over the ship. Right. Total side note, it, you know, again, they're never going to explain this, but exactly how does Dal have the command codes? Because Chakotay had them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Gwyn had some special access to the ship early on. Right. But that would be no more than the Vaunukat themselves had. Right. Because she learned that from her father. Yep. Who created, you know, so the Vaunukat didn't have the command codes, obviously, or at least not by the time the ship was sent off. So how did Dal get them? I mean, he's, quote unquote, the captain. Right. But does anybody walking into the captain's court, if Janeway granted him the command codes, she would have known them. But we've previously known she's limited in her functionality. They've established that so that such things can exist these limitations because if she was omnipresent and omnipotent she could do anything on the ship already although she did say she she can only do non-essential operations and i was like wouldn't that include the holodeck <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, so just a thought. to me that would be non-essential but yeah you know but again this is you know one of those things where it, maybe it was in one version of the script but that was the 45 minute version not the 22 minute version and honestly, the payoff in this one was great. Like I, they did such a nice job on the actual scenes when they got there that taking shortcuts didn't uh, ruin anything. But this is actually, I mean, and maybe I missed it, but this is one of those things where the show usually is really good about stuff like this. And yeah, I think in a previous episode, they should have shown Dow getting the command codes. It could yeah. have been a single line of dialogue or, you know, or something. Yeah, and something that established that Janeway do- doesn't have access to them. Yep, I agree. It's a nitpick. It is. Legitimate, but small. It, it's certainly more than, you know, um, does the holodeck uh, food actually exist? Um, this is this is kind of an important point because the, the whole plot mean? of this episode. I think my holodeck ice cream question is very important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
okay. I, I did not mean to diminish them. How did you feel, by the way? I mean, I thought it was fun kid stuff, but the way Dal and Pog were nerd shaming Zero with his program, right? They... <laughs> Jacobs goes, hard pass. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> well, well Dal, Dal Zero... says, what dorky task do we have to do? Well, because I have to say, Zero did call it milk toast mysteries. <laughs> So Zero yeah. was kind of asking for it. I got to say. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Zero is a bit of a nerd. The, um, the case of the biting ghost. <laughs> There's the details in this episode were phenomenal. Absolutely. Well, Rock's sea monster, my favorite, she says. <laughs> and <laughs> the glitter smooch and all of the details were just funny and clever and delightful. I still think it's unfair that Dow gets to sit, you know, have the captain's quarters. It's crazy. He's got these huge things. Everyone else is, you know, got bunk beds. I, I think I think they should rotate. They should. But sometimes the person who's the pushy person and asks for something or takes something is the person who gets it. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Gwen was doing her exercises using her heirloom, you know, for her pull-ups. That's what she was holding on to. That thing does a, has a lot of uses. Yeah, every week it does something new. I love it. I want one. So I have one. The one thing I'm very grateful for in this episode, and actually not just this episode, is the whole show, is that they don't draw out misunderstandings and misinformation. That they that information travels fast. Confrontations happen. I feel like a lesser show would have spent a whole half hour of us knowing that Janeway had done something and them not knowing that Janeway had done something or them not telling Janeway that they figured it out. And I love that we have none of that nonsense on this show. It's refreshing. Yeah. Even though it's fairly serialized, it's also episodic. They did draw out the Admiral Janeway thing a little bit. I guess it took her six and a half episodes to sort out that they were just kids and slaves. But that was before she saw them. Like, all she knew was somebody had the ship. So she didn't know who had the ship. As soon as she met them, she started shifting her thinking. Yeah. Immediately. So it's, they're not relying on anybody's stupidity. Yeah, this, this does not fall, you know, into the idiot trope, which so many shows and Star Trek often does. Yeah, I'm very thankful for that. So, I, you know, I, I guess... You know, I liked this episode. It was surprising. It was a little weird, but we learned a lot about the characters. And, you know, I guess they felt like they needed these two episodes to build up to. We have a two-part finale, and then I guess a prelude to that next week. And they felt like they needed to cover a lot of character ground. Right, which I assume is all going to matter. Yes, it makes me feel, if this were not a kid's show i would think someone's gonna die the right. amount of character the amount of focus they're doing and all these characters that one of the kids but i don't i don't think one of the kids is gonna die no i don't think you i mean i think that. that's literally impossible um, that's not a nice thing to do on a kid's show they could get separated maybe they could and take some time to come back to each other that's yeah. fine something's gonna happen in the finale it's gonna be dramatic <laughs> you think yeah <laughs> I think all of these character issues, I think Gwyn's daddy issues, Dal's issues with, you know, because he kept on talking about being 
he brought back the genetic engineering thing again. Well, his is being accepted and being yeah. liked. Yeah. And Pog's issues with being short, I guess, is going to come back. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if Rock has any issues except kind of figuring out her way in Starfleet and, you know, in science. Well, and wanting to do cute, sweet, gentle healing things instead of big, tough things. You've suggested that she might become a doctor. Uh, you know, now I'm maybe warming up to that, um, you know, because <laughs> of her little her little doctor program. So maybe that is her destiny. Ma um, ma magical veterinarian. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe she'll be a space veterinarian. I'd like that. Yeah. So because there's all sorts of crazy creatures out there that sure. need help. Yeah. She has a great bedside manner. Especially with Murph, who, yeah, where they're going with Murph. <laughs> I just don't know. I guess, like, I, I feel like Murph's going to say something in the finale. It's going to be like that time when Maggie Simpson said something for the first time. Do you think they'll get Elizabeth Taylor? to? Oh, they can't. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good cameo voice. For I assume it would be Dee Bradley Baker voicing Murph. Or that singer guy, Troy Klein. <laughs> exactly. Maybe Murph will only be able to sing his lines and that'll get us into the musical episode we've been waiting for on the other shows yeah <laughs> anyway so you know i'm very excited for what's to come i you know i i think some fans will be like oh come on let's get uh, let's let's get going let's not take another break for another episode but i think it was worth it i think there is a plan and i believe in the plan i guess is what i'm saying even though yes. i don't see the plan yet i have faith well, there's always a plan, and this and this show is so well mapped out. Right. I mean, let's face it. We other shows, Picard season one, pretty much every season of Discovery, especially season one, there was never a plan, or the plan was made up every week. This show, <laughs> I know they have a plan, and right. they are sticking to it, which is why I'm surprised about the command codes thing because we've just so gotten used to them thinking these things through. Yeah, planting the seeds early so that, but when it came up. We had a history. Right, because uh, Murph started showing a sickness three episodes before he transformed. Yeah. You know, they, they are always planning ahead. I think that's it for the episode, though. I think we've covered, we covered everything that we needed to cover. And more. <laughs> As always. <laughs> and then some. So let's move on to our bits of the week. I'll start off with a bit of stunt marketing for Star Trek in the UK. Um, there's an article on our site about how British Airways now offers Paramount Plus on all their long haul flights, which is nice. And the way they decided to promote this, they took people who worked for British Airways who were Star Trek fans and they dressed them in genuine discovery and strange new world outfits. They brought a customer and a makeup person and they had four Starfleet characters and two Vulcans and they walked them through Heathrow airport to a flight that was the U S enterprise flight 1701 to Starbase one. It was on the boards, you know, the departure boards, <laughs> which also had flights to like Risa, but it was, this is all like real. Like they didn't take, you know, they didn't close off. It was, there were real people walking around because you can't really close Heathrow, right? So no. there are real people watching like this going, what's going on? And they were laughing and having fun with people. And they had fake Federation passports. Like Tribbles in a suitcase or something. Yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. fun. 
there's video of it and pictures on the site. So well done to British Airways and to Paramount Plus who, you know, worked together to make this cool stunt. It's a good stunt. Yeah, they're getting creative and I thought that was a great one. It's a fun video. What's your thing of the week? Mine is there's um, a person who goes by the moniker of Music Box Rocks um, on YouTube and Twitter who does these beautiful hand-cranked music boxes. And the reason that I noticed was because they posted one for Star Trek Prodigy. So it's that hand-cranked music box that has the, the dots in it, but it's it's the Prodigy theme and then the actual strip that is going through the the music box has images it's the open of prodigy and it matches up and it's fantastic and if you go to youtube you can see there's one for lower decks and there's one for voyager not just star trek a bunch of other things and just super creative super beautiful and very very cool i think i've seen one of these before so there's kind of a standard cranky thing you could buy yes and there's programs where you could turn sheet music into the strips does he provide he has a link to that. I assume I don't know if it's a he or a she. Do you know? I have no idea. I have no um, idea. So they, but they put up a link to that because someone said, "Oh, I wish I could do that," and they said, "You can." Here's a link. Here's how to do that, it. That's so cool. So, but it's so cool and it's so well done. And then someone else on Twitter did a video where they put the music box um, up against the uh, actual Prodigy theme, playing them, showing them at the same time, so that you hear the sound from the music box, but you're seeing. The image, the open from Prodigy. That's fun. So it's just just really creative and fun and cool to take a look at. Pretty astonishing. I noticed a bunch of, a bunch of people from the show were tagged. The Hagemans, I think, uh, shared it. Yes, they did. So thank you for staying with us for another week of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next Friday as we are every Friday. See you then. <laughs>